Hey, welcome to the Engage Network Podcast. We're so happy to have you join us today. Why don't we dive into another incredible, life-changing message? We're so glad that you're here. And as we go through the book of Colossians, uh, we're in Colossians chapter 1, verse 18. That's where we're going to start today. Uh, I did say in the earlier service that if you feel like we're skipping over chunks and portions of scripture, you're not wrong. We are. And it's not because we're trying to do that to our liking. It's simply because with our other locations, sometimes a portion is being covered there. So we will be very shortly, probably this week or next week, release all the current messages up to this point in February. So if there's a section that you've missed where you're like, man, I don't know why they didn't preach on those three verses. Someone has, and we want to make sure that you can include that. So this morning at WEC, Pastor Harmon is preaching on verses 15 to 17 of Colossians chapter 1. He's talking about the supremacy of Christ. And I'm going to preach on Colossians 1, 18 to 23. And so buckle up because today we're going to talk about the preeminence the divinity, and why that's important to reconciliation. You know, just an easy Sunday morning, right? Was it Lionel Richie said easy like Sunday mornings? You know, it's one of those things where uh, sometimes I'm like, wow, we got some nice portions of Scripture here where it rolls deep, but that's where we're going to go this morning, so let's get into it. Colossians chapter 1, verses 18 to 23. It says, Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first, can everyone say first? In everything. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ, and through him God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. This includes you who were once far away from God. You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now, as he Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence, and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. But you must continue to believe this truth and stand firmly in it. Don't drift away from the assurance you received when you heard the good news. The good news has been preached all over the world, and I, Paul, have been appointed as God's servant to proclaim it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that just as you were speaking to the people of Colossae years and years ago, uh, you speak to us today. So I just pray that uh, our hearts would be open and our ears would be ready to receive your word. But God, would we become those who actually live out and do the things your word calls us to do, not those who just sit and hear it and get very, very spiritually fat. Um, because we don't do anything with it. So we ask you to open our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So as Paul's diving a little bit deeper to this letter at the church at Colossae, uh, Pastor Brett and I were arguing about this this week. Uh, some say he was saying Colossae, I was saying Colossae, and I guess the internet told us both it was Colossae. But, you know, I don't know. I'll probably just say whatever I want because the internet's not always right. But, uh uh, you know, so as he's writing this book in this letter to this church in this kind of tri-region where they are kind of this smaller town now because some other towns have become more popular and the trading has gone to them, uh, they, they're also what happens in this region is there's now a thriving church, but they've started to pull some identity from other places. And so Paul needs to write this letter and he's reaffirming and he's talking to them about who Jesus is. And that's what 
what we're going to talk about this morning is who Jesus is. Because if we don't understand who Jesus is, we'll never fully understand who we are called to be and what we're called to do and what life in Jesus is supposed to look like. So we want to talk about who Jesus is. And so Paul starts going into some details about who Jesus is. And then we start getting these big theological words that bring these doctrines of the preeminence of Christ, the divinity of Christ, and why those are important to reconciliation. And you're looking at me like, oh my goodness, you went to Bible college, you may have gone to Bible college, but it's like on a Sunday morning, the average person listens at a grade 10 listening level. Uh, And uh, so how do we break this down? It's true. Because you've had half your weekend and you roll into church and you're like, I'm not ready for work or to really think this week. So, but on Sunday, I want God to speak to me. And yeah, generally speaking, it's like a high school uh, listening level that we get on a Sunday morning, but that's okay. Because the Holy Spirit will get you on Monday morning with a four Monday and you're just, that's it, right? But... We need to address some of these things. And so what Paul starts doing is he starts talking to the church and reminding them about who Jesus is. And that's where we get these words like preeminence and divinity and all these things uh, and these doctrines about Christ. And so if Paul wanted the church at Colossae to know some of these things, I think it's important for myself to want you and me to know some of these things about who Jesus is because it's actually going to change the way we live out our whole lives. So this morning I want you to know a few things about who Jesus is. And the first thing that I want you to know is that Jesus is first in everything. Can we just say everything? Everything. Jesus was meant and is first in everything, whether you make him first or not. At some point in eternity and history, he will be first in everything. Jesus is first in everything. And now this comes out of this idea that because Jesus went first. This is the doctrine of the preeminence of Christ. Now going first isn't always something we want to do, right? I mean, my brother is at the back of the soundboard. He turned me off last service. Please don't turn me off this time. But my brother's bigger than I am. I could say, guess you could say he's probably tougher than I am. But I would attest that to the fact that, you know, that saying what doesn't kill you will make you stronger It's because I'm better looking and smarter. I always made him go first, doing the difficult and ridiculous things that we tried as a kid, right? You all have that friend. You have that friend that's the antagonizer. Like, someone's like, we should jump off a bridge. He's like, oh, yeah. And you got one friend, like, that's an amazing idea. And they're always the one that doesn't do it, but they push you over the edge to actually doing it. And now you're thinking of that friend, and you still need to love them even though they deceived you. But... When it comes to Jesus being first in everything, Colossians 1 verse 18, the second part of the verse says he is the beginning. So talking about all the way back to Genesis, in the beginning, the word was with God and the word was God and the same was in the beginning with God. That's John chapter 1 verse 1. But it says later on in that chapter of John, the first chapter of John, that the word became flesh. That Jesus was there in the very beginning, but then Paul goes on in Colossians 1.18 to say, he's supreme over all who rise from the dead. So now he's talking future tense. The one who was in the beginning will also be there first in the future that the promise of resurrection and being raised to new life and eternity beyond this life, Jesus is also the first one there. He was the first one at the beginning and he's the first one in the resurrection. And so He is first in everything is what Paul's saying. Now the preeminence of Jesus is foundational to our faith because we talked a little bit about it last week that if Jesus didn't go first, there was no way for us back to the Father. 
You see, saying Jesus was first in the resurrection, you can read the Bible and be like, well, in the Bible, there were other people that were raised from the dead. Yes, there were other people that were raised from the dead because God raised them from the dead. But Jesus was the very first one who, because he was fully God and fully man, we'll talk about that in a little bit, he went into the grave after the cross, went down into hell, defeated sin and death, and raised himself from the dead. That's a little bit different than what you and I could do. We hope for resurrection because Jesus made it possible first. So he's first in everything. And so if he was first in death and he was first in resurrection, this is what makes it possible for us to have hope for eternity and a relationship with him right now. We have relationship with God because Jesus went before us and paid the price on the cross for our sin so we can be received and accepted by God. So not only is he first in the the beginning, he's first in death, creating atonement for sins. He's first in the resurrection, but it says he will become first in all creation. There are scriptures that talk about how creation is longing and groaning for the day of Christ's return. Why? Because Jesus is... Is going to make all things right. There's a systemic problem in our earth, in our humanity, because of sin in the state that we're in. And the only way back to God is through Jesus. So we get this idea that if we talk about the preeminence of Christ, what we're really just saying is Jesus needs to be first in everything. And if he is first in everything, he can make a way for us where there is no way. And he makes a way for us to have relationship and a hope in a God that will lead us into eternity. And we can know that it's going to be okay. But then it brings us to this second idea that if Jesus is first in everything, we have to come to the realization that Jesus is meant to be the center of everything. In verses 15 to 17, when they talk about the supremacy of Christ, we come to the place where it says, it actually talks about how he is the center of the universe, that he's holding all things together without the binding power of Jesus, that there would be utter chaos. He is the center of everything. Now, Jesus, in our lives, Paul is bringing this back, saying that he needs to be the center. In Colossians 1.18, the first part of the verse says this, Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. Now, we don't often think about the head as the center of the body, right? Like a lot of times I think we would argue and we would say, well, our heart is the center, the soul, the mind, will, the emotions, like the soul realm of everybody. That's kind of the central point. Well, here's the thing. Disney lied to you. When they told you to follow your heart, they were wrong because the Bible says your heart is deceitful above all things. So we don't follow our hearts. We follow Jesus. The Bible says that Jesus, Jesus was meant to be the center of everything, so that means the center of our hearts, that means the center of our marriage, that means the center of our church, that means the center of our everything. And when I was studying this and I said, okay, God, what does it mean for Jesus to be the center? I began to ask myself the question, why are centerpieces at weddings so important? Like, this is just where my brain went this week. You ever wondered that? So I got on the Google train and Pinterest, and I've learned now how tall a centerpiece should be or shouldn't be, and what is allowed and what's not allowed. And do you know why centerpieces are so important? All you young people that are planning on getting married anytime soon, and you're like, ah, the guys are like, I don't care about the centerpiece. Well, I'll tell you why centerpieces are important, because they're supposed to be an anchor point for conversation at the table. So good thing is, whether they're ugly or they're beautiful, people are going to talk. Right? 
See, because I go to a lot of weddings, and a lot of times I get put at the table with all the people who don't know other people. Because, like, Pastor Jeremy will be great, and he'll get to know all of them. <laughs> so if you're at a wedding and you're sitting with me at a table, it's probably because you're awkward. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Brandy and I were at a wedding once, and... I get up to go get a drink, and I leave, and she's there with this other girl that we'd never met before. And she's like, oh, so you guys are pastors. Brandy's like, yeah. She goes, well, I'm an atheist, so I guess that's awkward. Brandy's like, well, I guess it is if you let it, but, like, (laughs) what do you say to that, right? But the centerpiece is actually supposed to be a focal point and an anchor point. So whether it's an object of beauty or it's strange or it's unique to the couple, what it's supposed to do is spark conversation among the guests. So if you have a centerpiece and say you love Star Wars and you have a picture of, you know, uh, Darth Vader or what I don't know, whatever you want. Like, it doesn't matter what it is. It's your wedding. But it's going to spark conversation among the guests with who the couple is and all that kind of stuff. Now, this makes perfect sense to me now when we talk about Jesus being the center. Because quite often we've come into church or we've tried to run a group or we've tried to be the light of Christ in our community. And we've made the group that we run be the center. We've made the preaching the center. We've made whether the guitar player is good looking enough the center. We've made all these different things the central piece of church. And this is how we get into department wars in church. Well, how come this department's more than that important than that department? And this one, that. Wrong question. The center of all of it needs to be Jesus. And what we need to understand is that when we come here on a Sunday, it's because we have a commonality in Jesus and we're focusing on Jesus and following Jesus and talking about Jesus. And then you can run a small group. And if you're not in a group, just join a group. It's late, but just get in a group. And if you get there and you're like, I don't have anything in common with these people or I think they're strange or maybe they think I'm strange. But guess what? We're not here to worry about all that. We're here to make Jesus the central point and then we can love one another another right. We can walk with one another right. We can serve one another right. Why? Because Jesus is the center, not what I like or dislike, but what Jesus is actually leading me in. So when Jesus becomes the head of the church, it shows that he is the thing that gives order and direction to the rest of the body. See, when Jesus is the center and the central function and placement, he has that in our lives, it actually brings unity instead of uniformity. I'm glad that I can stand up here on a Sunday and tell you that I don't want you to change who you are in your personality. You don't have to look like everyone next to you, sound like everyone next to you, but what we do need to do is make a commitment in our hearts that Jesus will be the center. Then we can all be individuals, but we have a commonality and a unity in Jesus that doesn't mean I have to sound the same, look the same, think the same all the time, but we actually put our eyes towards the same author and finisher of our faith, and that's Jesus. So, I mean, on a Sunday, when I stand up here and I encourage you to be all that God's called you to be, I am not saying you need to be like me or be like Pastor Seb or be like Matt or someone else. No, I need you to be who God's called you to be. And as long as Jesus is at the center of your heart and life and the center of this church and he's at the center of my life and the center of this church, we can walk in unity even though we are all very different. Now, if you're like, well, that's not my personality, but the Bible says, you know, you should praise God and you should pray. And it's like, well, I'll call you to be what the Bible calls you to be. But I'm not calling you to be me. I'm not calling you to be the person next to you. But when we place Jesus at the center, what happens 
quite often is we start finding ourselves learning the art of deference, meaning that we can actually lay aside our rights, what we would want in a specific time because of what Jesus wants to do in the lives of those around us. Ephesians 4, 15 to 16 says this, Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. And he makes the whole body fit together perfectly. And as each part does its own special work, so it's saying this, the body fits together, each of you has your own special part, and it helps the other parts grow, so the whole body is healthy, growing, and full of love. Do you know what our goal should be as a church? That the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. And when Jesus is at the center, sometimes there will be things we don't love about our church, but if the whole body is healthy and it's growing and it's full of love, we're moving closer to Jesus. Sometimes we can say, hey, this area could be a lot better, and I'm speaking the truth in love because I want the whole body healthy and growing and moving forward in love. It doesn't mean we avoid issues or we avoid talking about things that need to be worked out better or changed, but when we put Christ at the center, we can do all those things in love. We can lead people closer to Jesus in love because Jesus is the center. We're all different in the body of Christ, but with Jesus at the center, it's what gives direction, purpose, oneness in Christ, and agreement with one another that we're following him and not our own agendas. So we don't lose our identity when Jesus is the center. Actually, we find it and we find an agreement with God's people and we realize that we're better together because we're different. And because we're walking in unity with Jesus at the center. So we have to come to this thing. This is what Paul's saying. Jesus needs to be first in everything. Jesus is, needs to be the center. And it brings me to the third thing that sometimes we often need to remind ourselves of. And what we need to know this morning is the fact that Jesus is more than enough. Because, I mean, I think we've all faced trials and struggles and things in life where we've wondered, Jesus, are you really enough for this person's pain? Are you really enough for this situation? Are you really enough for whatever we need to come up against? Colossians 1, 19 to 21 says, For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ, and through him God reconciled everything to himself. And he made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. And this includes you who were once far away from God. You were his enemies separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Reconciliation is an important thing to our faith. Understanding that Jesus is more than enough becomes a focal point of our faith because he embodies the fullness of God, meaning Jesus was not only fully man, he was also fully God. So the doctrine of the divinity of Christ saying that he was fully God and fully man at the same time Yet he set aside those God attributes and he experienced what we experience, but he went to the cross is very important for two reasons. The first reason it was important was because Paul brought this up to the church at Colossae because there was an idea going around amongst the Greeks that said Jesus couldn't have been, if he's God, he couldn't have been human. A lot of people struggle more with the reality of Jesus being God, but this was the opposite way. They realized, they thought, well, maybe Jesus was God, but it doesn't mean he was human. So in their minds, Jesus was an angelic being. His, his Christophanies, all of his work on earth, it was really just an angel amongst people, that he wasn't fully human. 
But it was important that he be fully God and fully man. We have a 200% God. That's pretty good. Because the divinity of Christ is important, but also the humanity of Christ. Because the humanity of Christ speaks to us that God came to earth to identify with humanity, to face what you face, feel what you feel, experience what we experience, and yet he did not sin. So we have a high priest, as Hebrew says, that can sympathize with us. He's not a distant God who just says, do the right thing, do it this way, do it better. No, he sympathized with us because he knows our weaknesses. He knows what we are prone to in this world and in our sinful humanity. So he understands all of that. Yet, he had to go to the cross, shed his blood. It's amazing that Paul identifies in here that he shed his physical body, the physical blood of Jesus, to pay the price for your sin and my sin. And we need to understand that Jesus needed to be fully God and fully man because reconciliation, restoration with God is not possible without this. If an animal sacrifice or a human sacrifice could have appeased the judgment or the wrong done towards a holy and just God, Jesus would not have had to die. But he needed to. See, in 2 Corinthians, it says this. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone and the new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. The Bible says that the fullness of God dwelt in Christ. Or it pleased God to dwell in Christ. It pleased God that Christ was fully in God. You can take it either way. Jesus was either fully in God or God was fully in Jesus, apples to oranges, he was divine. He carried the divinity of God. Jesus is God. Now, there are a lot of religions that look like Christianity, sound like Christianity, probably act a lot better than Christianity at times, but the reality and the crux of the matter comes down to, is Jesus God? Because let me tell you how reconciliation works. I don't know a lot about numbers, and I don't know a lot about, you know, budgets and balancing all this stuff and my board member just ignore this on the front row Matt's like whoa Um, but what I do know is this if at the end of the day something is not equal you can't reconcile the books right you cannot reconcile something that does not add up so if I've spent $15,000 and I've only brought in $13,000 something is off it's out of alignment it's not reconciled it's not made right to cancel it out. And I want to tell you something about Jesus, that our humanness, our human sacrifice, all our works that we could ever do to make God love us or like us or be better or try harder could never appease the wrong done in a sinful humanity before a holy and just God. So Jesus, being fully God, goes to the cross and he made the way for us. He was enough. See, Jesus is more than enough for whatever you face because he is the only person in humanity that was enough to appease the sacrifice that needed to be made before a holy and just God so we could have right relationship with him. So reconciliation comes through Jesus because we understand that he is more than enough. And maybe we've forgotten that sometimes. Maybe we've forgotten that 
man, if, if Jesus is first in everything, life still might be hard, but I might have a better perspective. If, if Jesus is at the center of my marriage and at the center of my family, and if he's at the center of my church, we can learn to speak the truth in love and see everything growing and moving forward because Christ is the head of the church. He's the center of everything. If we truly believe that Jesus is more than enough, it actually might give us faith and hope to believe that just because we're facing something and the answer hasn't come yet and we don't know why it hasn't been worked out, if Jesus is more than enough to save me from sin and death and reconcile my relationship with a holy and just God so I can live for eternity with him, not only in this life but in eternity, maybe he's enough for me right now. We just sometimes in our lives get so bombarded with the things that are going on around us that we forget that Jesus was meant to be the center. And this is what happened at the church of Colossae. They started strong and they fell in love with Jesus and they made him the center of their lives, but all of a sudden we're unfulfilled or we're we're not getting what we want or things aren't working out. I can't give you the full answer of why sometimes sickness still happens or things don't work out. I can tell you this. It's not because God doesn't love people. It's because we are in a sinful, fallen world, and there are consequences of that. But Jesus is working at reconciling everything to himself, and there will be a day when he sets everything right, and there won't be any more sickness, and there won't be any more pain, and there won't be any more death. But we have to, in this life, remember that he needs to be first, he needs to be central, and he's more than enough for anything that we're going to face because he is working it out. But we get so wrapped up and caught in the why, and sometimes it's hard and it's difficult. So then we try to do what the church at uh, uh, Colossae did, is they, they said, well, I'm going to live in Christ, but you know what? I find fulfillment in this part of the world, so I'm going to try and do both. And so we wonder why we wrestle at times and we don't have peace in our hearts and in our lives when we're trying to live fully in Christ, but part of us in the world. And we start chasing things that we think are going to fill the holes or the gaps or the frustrations or the hurts that we faced because of the consequence of sin in this life. But we've forgotten that Jesus is more than enough. And so this morning, it should bring us to the question that in light of all of this, what should this cause us to do? How should it cause us to want to live? And as I close, I want to encourage us in two areas. I really believe this morning, my challenge to you is this. If we can start understanding the importance of who Jesus is, that he's first in everything. He is the centerpiece that will ground us and anchor us and should be the focal point of our conversation and of our lives and how we love each other. That he's more than enough for anything and everything we're going to face, what we have faced I want to challenge you first and foremost this morning because I'm challenging myself with this is to live as close to Jesus as you can in your hearts, minds, and lives. We got to stop doing the dance where we're going to live to close with Jesus in some areas and then other ones say I'm going to keep chasing other things. 
We can chase whatever we want in this life and it's not that we're not saved because we're saved by the grace and blood of Jesus Christ. However, sometimes when we're facing conflict and struggle in our own hearts, it's because we're choosing to chase other things than live fully in who Jesus is and that he's enough for us. And that's hard because we all have human desires. We all have things that we wanna see happen in our lives. But it says that he reconciled us to himself by his death on the cross. He paid a price by shedding his blood so he could be enough for you and for me. You see, we don't have to live alienated from God anymore. The scripture in Colossians says you were once afar off, but now you've been brought near. We've been brought near by the blood of Jesus and we can have that intimate relationship with him. So anytime we can make Jesus the center and we can draw close to him in our hearts, in our minds, in the way we live, we can trust that he's gonna be enough. But there's always gonna be this pull and temptation of the world to say, will you live in Christ or will you live in the culture of the world? It's okay to like culture. It's okay to wear skinny jeans. It's okay to not care at all. Just telling you that. But what's not okay is when culture shapes our faith. Our faith shapes culture. And we can enjoy things of culture, but we must keep Jesus the center. We can enjoy good food. We can enjoy trendy coffee shops. We can enjoy hunting. We can enjoy all the things that we enjoy in life. But the question becomes a problem when Jesus is not the center. So I want to challenge you. How are you going to live as close to Jesus in every area of our life so we actually make him the center and we make him first? But secondly, I want to challenge you with this, and I'm going to ask you to stand. As you stand, I'm going to ask you, and I'm going to challenge you to don't give up hope. And don't stop short in your faith. You see in Colossians 1 verse 23, it says, but you must continue to believe this truth and stand firmly in it. Don't drift away from the assurance you received when you heard the good news. This good news has been preached all over the world and I've been appointed as God's servant to proclaim it. You know, the good news of Jesus and him being first and going first and making a way for us in heaven, that's what sparks hope for us to believe for eternity. But faith requires perseverance because in this life we still face troubles and trials and tribulations. And that's why there's an encouragement to stand firm in your faith. Stand firm in the hope that you have. Don't stop believing it. Don't waver on this. See, hope is established in the good news of who Jesus is, but faith must persevere at times. In Acts chapter 14, when Paul wasn't in prison, he says, after I preached the message in Derby and establishing a strong core of disciples, they retraced their steps to Lystra, then Iconium, then Antioch, putting muscle and sinew in the lives of the disciples. He was strengthening them, urging them to stick with what they had begun to believe and not quit, making it clear to them that it wouldn't be easy. And this is like, we gotta love encouraging verses like this in the Bible. Anyone signing up for the kingdom of God has to go through plenty of hard times. Jesus promised us a relationship with God. Jesus promised us that he would never leave us nor forsake us. He promised us that he would be more than enough, but he never once promised us that we would be exempt from hard and difficult things in our lives. 
So my challenge is to you, don't lose hope. And don't stop short in your faith. See, when they planted churches in the, in the New Testament, they didn't just plant a church and everyone got saved. Now everything was perfect and rosy. No, you brought a whole bunch of hurting people together or people who were coming out of other lifestyles and it created problems in the church. But as they went back from church to church to church, they needed to strengthen men and women and disciples in their faith saying, listen, the hope is sure, but the things that you face are going to want to distract you or sidetrack you or derail you. So you need to stand firm in your faith. So all I'm asking us this morning, if we can get our eyes on who Jesus is, he's first in everything. He's meant to be the centerpiece. He's more than enough. I just challenge you as we sing, ask God, how can I keep living close to you as possible in every area of my life? And Jesus, help me to not forsake hope. Help me to not stop short in my faith because I know it's going to require perseverance at times. Hey, thanks for listening. If you'd like to learn more about Engaged Church or continue your relationship with Jesus, head to engagechurch.ca. We'll see you next week.